Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Actually, no. By the time we actually release this, we're doing something slightly different with this podcast. I believe this will be coming out on a Friday. So usually we release the HR on the Offensive podcast on a Thursday, but today we're going for a Friday. And the reason why we're doing that is because this week for us at Lace Partners is a special week because it's the launch of our latest white paper. Now, our white paper is called the HR Shared Services Trends Report 2022. It is a follow-on from the report that we produced at the beginning of, well, sorry, the the end of 2020. And it's called The Future of HR Shared Services, Becoming People and Solutions Experts. And with me to talk about it is the actual author of both of those reports and somebody who's I'm very familiar with on the podcast because she often acts as my partner in crime. And she's just held up a copy of the old report because in the last recording that we did, and this is the second recording, lovely listener, because some of the uh, equipment that we had went awry. In the last recording, I completely fudged the uh, name of our own white paper that we produced in the first case. So she held it up for me just then. I could have just kept that between us because I think nobody would have known any difference, M's. But thank you very much for coming on to talk to us about this white paper that you've just had a hand in writing and say had a hand in writing, but you've effectively written it yourself. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, always enjoy kind of just sharing thoughts and perspectives from others. So yes, hopefully we can sort of whet the appetite, I guess, around some of the key stats and kind of key headlines from the survey that we've done this year. Yeah, it's a teaser. This is a teaser mm-hmm. podcast, isn't it? So what we want everyone to do, of course, download the report, have a look at it yourself, and then engage with us. Talk to us about if there's anything in there that's interesting. We have a HR shared services community. If you are a HR shared services professional, then reach out to us to see if you'd be interested and it would be good to have you on that community because we're trying to grow that community as well. So some interesting stats. And Ems, just before we go into some of the specifics, do you just want to tell me what why we decided to do this latest version, this update, and also we'll get to kind of a little bit of a some of the top line stats in a minute. But yeah, just why did we write this report and our methodology really? So who did we speak to? Yeah, sure. Of course, Chris. So I guess a lot has changed in the past two years, both for businesses, but also for each of us in our personal lives in ways that we could never have expected before. So 2020, the premise of the first kind of interviews and and research around the future of shared services was more around challenging the status quo and traditional perceptions of what HR shared services as a function or capability within HR was there to do, which was really interesting. Lots of really good insights in that report. But that was pre-pandemic. And we know that HR was really at the coalface, particularly probably more so than any other function over the past two years in helping organisations adapt and respond positively, proactively and quickly to change. So my question, therefore, was, you know, what does HR shared services I suppose you could ultimately argue HR as a whole, but linking back to our HR shared service specific viewpoint, what does that now look like in a post-pandemic world? What's changing? Why is it changing? What are some of the priorities? And to give some consistency, 
essentially the question set, because we did a survey this time versus in-depth interviews, primarily to expand the participant pool, to be honest, in the timeframe that we were looking at. But the question set for 2020 and 2022 is a mirror with some additions this year. So that enables us to then do some correlation, you know, over two years and say, well, in 2020, let's say service delivery technology usage or channel usage was X across these dimensions two years on, it's Y. I wonder why that is. So this report itself is probably more a state of the nation and fact than necessarily being here are some examples of what organisations are doing. But to your point, Chris, I guess that's why we're hoping it prompts a debate and discussion so that in future podcasts, in future webinars, we can actually delve into each of the topics and bring to life, well, it was 59%, for example, and these are the types of things that those organisations were doing. And then very briefly, the respondent profile, as I've mentioned, it was a survey. We really wanted to get input from people who drive the strategy and agenda of the shared service organisations in HR. So we kept the kind of request very specific and bespoke to that level, i.e. shared service directors of global organisations. Wasn't a survey that we sent to a thousand odd people. It was very bespoke. We went to about 150 odd uh, individuals ultimately. And then we got responses from sort of 44 of those, which doesn't sound like a great response rate, but actually it is because it's double the response rate that we had last year. And actually particularly in light of the fact that probably a lot of people got a bit of survey fatigue as well uh, in some respects yeah yeah so yeah lots of different organizations all shapes and sizes uh, in the report itself you can kind of see specifically the breakdown of demographics you know size of organization industry number of shared service hubs they might have average tenure of teams all that kind of stuff Okay, so really, really interesting. And what I want to do now is just go through each of the different sections of the report. Now, of course, won't go into specifics and won't go into details of each section because A, we want people to actually download and read the paper itself because it's got lots of interesting data points in it. But B, I think there's so much information and there's so many interesting debates that we can have. We'll do it over the coming months so that we can dedicate a little bit more time because, of course, on this podcast, on the HR on the Offensive podcast, what we like to do is just keep our pods to around about 30 minutes so it's just about enough time for people to get a little nugget of information. But we'll be back in the coming weeks to zone in, I think, on some of those areas. But the report's broken down into a key finding section. So what I'm going to ask Ems to do in a minute is just to give me kind of a one-minute pre as to some of the key things that we found. There's a strategic priority section. There's a service and offering and client centricity section. There's a structure, governance, and continuous improvement section. There's a capabilities, behaviours, and talent section. There's a digital enablers section. And then we look ahead as to what's facing HR shared services professionals in the future and we kind of reflect on that as well. So Ems, one minute or you may even go over one minute. I'm not going to time you exactly, but just give our listeners a top level view of some of the key stuff that came out of the report. Yeah, no, very happy to. But I guess I'd kind of like to start with the strapline of the initial white paper from you know two years ago was about becoming people experience and solutions experts. That was deliberately provocative to kind of challenge the status quo. And I think it's probably fair to say when you delve into the kind of findings um, across the 44 different organisations, shared service leaders are stepping up to that challenge and are embracing that, which is fantastic to see. So, oh, where to start with one minute? Okay, I'll try and keep this short and brief, but to whet the appetite. So rather than talk about priorities and kind of what's next, I guess if you think about the four core chapter areas, if I phrase it as that, 
across what we do, how we do it, um, the team that we have to do it and the underlying enablers, if I phrase it as such. It's really interesting, again, and very encouraging to see that shared service leaders are pushing the boundaries around service offering. So we've, you know, we talked a lot in the past around kind of moving up the value chain. It's definitely happening. In the report, we talk about some of the new areas that organizations, so shared service leaders are starting to bring into their scope. So some of the innovation type areas, perhaps around experience, it might be around insights, but more insights than data because they're different things. And then also linked to that sort of more people manager and advisory coaching, which again was something that we challenged organizations on two years ago, but it seems that that is something they're actively focusing on, on kind of doing within shared services versus relying necessarily on business partners to do that or HR generalists. So that's one of the things. In that chapter, we talk about sourcing trends as well. I mean, it kind of remains selective. There's probably no real key trend there, but in that same chapter, there's quite a bit around experience, which I'm guessing, Chris, in a minute, we might delve into a little bit. So this is just sure the appetite. And that's one of the things, you know, we wanted to delve into a couple of specific areas in this report to build on 2020, one of which was, if you are focusing on experience, what kind of key areas, both for an employee and line manager side, are you focusing on? If you're focusing on talent, which is one of the chapters. So capabilities, behaviors, and talent, where are you sourcing it from? Are we being bold enough? So that's a provocation from me personally to say, maybe there is more we could do. And again, we might delve into that in a second. So that it's interesting to see that if organizations do bring talent from outside HR into shared services, it predominantly comes from customer and operations. But actually, is that enough? You know, Are we casting the net frequently enough? beyond the traditional sourcing models is, is a question. And then also, I think sort of how we continuously improve was something else both this year and last year that came out as a challenge area, it's probably fair to say, and therefore perhaps one for future opportunities in the sense of if a key priority is operational excellence, which it's always going to be for shared services, how can you do that if you don't try and focus on continuous improvement in earnest? And there's kind of a paradox, which is, we're saying it's important to be operationally efficient. We're saying that skills around continuous improvement are the top priority skill set, yet just about half of organisations actually have a dedicated focus on continuous improvement. Want to debate more, I think. Certainly, it certainly is. In fact, you just talked about operational efficiencies because that's the first question I wanted to ask. What I'm going to do now is just pick just a few. We'll pick, what we'll do is we'll pick out a few stats and then kind of discuss and debate around those if that's all right. Because one of the first things we asked was, what are the main objectives for HR shared services leaders over the next 12 months? And one of the big things that came out is operational efficiencies. Now, as a simple marketing bod, the first thing I read when I think about that is, what exactly do we mean by operational efficiencies? What are those efficiencies? that HR shared services professionals are looking at, okay, why is this my focus? Yeah, so it's a really good question, Chris. I mean, we didn't specifically ask, what are you doing in that space? But the category that individuals had to choose when they said operational efficiencies was around, so process standardization, automation, i.e. doing things better, I guess, with what you've got, which doesn't necessarily mean cost cutting. Actually, it might mean investment in some cases. So again, because this was a survey versus interviews, we didn't go into the, well, why have you said that? It's not surprising, though, that it comes out as the top priority because that's the premise of shared services. So actually, in some ways, you can't, I kind of wish I hadn't asked that as, or put that as an option. <laughs> but then very, very interestingly, sort of 84%, which was number two in terms of kind of the strategic priority for next 12 months, 84% of the respondents said that that was around improving both employee and line manager experience. So 
that, 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 but it, that, I guess it was lovely to see that actually there's very little difference in percentage, 87 to 84. So yeah. almost as important. So I think this is what I want to get into next, the line manager, people manager experience, people line manager, people experience uh, approach. Because, of course, we've specifically gone into, we've looked at that in the mm -hmm. report. Uh, it's on page 16, where we talk about experience journeys. What experience journeys are you, are you speaking on? And we talk specifically around line manager and the people experience. So can you just give our listeners a bit of a flavour as to what we're talking about in that section? And also anything interesting from your perspective that you thought, oh, that's an interesting one to pull out. Yeah, of course. Very happy to do so. So one of the questions, I guess, a couple of years ago that we asked, hence why we've delved deeper this year, just to put it into context, was as part of kind of ongoing continuous improvement and measuring success, do you measure experience? i.e. how does somebody feel when they interact with shared services, the quality, that type of thing. <laughs> Probably it's fair to say without going into too much detail on it that that was something that was measured, but I think it was less than 50% of organisations kind of put a concerted effort two years ago on focusing on experience as a measure of success. So this year, what we wanted to do was actually expand that a bit more and again, ask the same question, do you measure it and how do you measure it? So we do talk about that in this year's survey, but also ask the question if you are focusing on it, because every organisation two years ago, a year ago, today is still saying we've got to focus on experience above anything else, particularly in light of the current sort of market environment where the war for talent is even hotter than it probably ever has been. If you are focusing on experience and that's the agreed kind of North Star priority now, what are you specifically focusing on? So both from an employee lens and line manager lens, in the report, we gave options, I guess, across the kind of journey spectrum for employees and kind of the line manager journeys from welcome me to recognize me to wish me farewell on the kind of employee side. And then from a line manager's point of view, recognizing that actually capable line managers drive an employee's experience or incapable line managers drive a negative employee experience, depending on how you want to look at that. We also asked, so from a line manager standpoint, things such as are you focusing on helping line managers build their team and the, coaching them on that? Or is it around helping them support their team in the right way? Or are you not focusing on any of those at all? I think what was really encouraging to see is pretty much every organization bar a couple were focusing on some of those, if not all of those in some shape or form. So only 9% of organisations said that they didn't have any specific focus areas for employee journeys. Now, that might be because they think they've got it bang on. I'd be surprised. I think that might well be a maturity question. Then on from a line manager standpoint, 18% said they didn't have any plans to focus on specific areas, i.e. over two thirds, 82% of organisations were doing something to support their line managers, but in a concerted effort. And most of the time that was around actually helping from a kind of how do I best support my team? So about grievances, about disciplinaries, that those kind of things would all sit under there, which links back nicely. I think, to the service scope expansion around becoming more of that kind of coach, advisor, trusted friend, perhaps even for our day to day people managers versus line managers, if I use that phrase. Yeah, I think that this particular topic is one that we'll definitely need to do another podcast on because there's a lot bubbling around in my head at the moment. So, for example, I'm thinking 18% haven't got focus, 82% have, that's brilliant. But in those businesses that within those 18%, how are those line managers feeling? And what is the possibility of having disaffected line managers if there's mm. no real plans to develop them? My other questions in my head are things like, it'll be interesting to then survey the actual, no way we could, we could actually do this, but then survey those line managers to see, well, that's the perception from 
a HR shared services perspective, does it marry up with how the line manager is feeling as well? So there's loads that we can pick out in there. Yeah. But I think for the purposes of the 30 minute window that we've given ourselves, we should probably just leave that there as a teaser and just move on to the structure and governance section. Do you want to just give us a little bit of an overview into that section and anything that you think was interesting that you'd like to just kind of pick out and highlight maybe a stat or two? Yeah, no, very, very happy to. So structure, governance and kind of continuous improvement. I guess what I would probably ultimately highlight here, and this is a particular soapbox in some respects of mine, is we talk a lot around HR needing to drive business outcomes and show value. Well, if we're going to do that, then we need to be able to prove value. And therefore, how are you defining what success looks like? And do you have measures in place to do that? That's one element. And then we've talked about the fact that if kind of operational efficiencies are one of the core priorities this year, and arguably will always be a core priority for shared services and HR as a whole, to do that, you need to focus on continuous improvement. So if I take both of those two lenses, we asked a question around how do you measure service effectiveness, for example. That was the same question asked in 2020 as it was this year. In 2020, we saw that actually most organisations focused on operational measures, as you'd expect, which is fine. What we also saw was that there was an emergence of focusing on experience. But I guess the question is, how do you quantify experience and what are some of the example you know, measures that you might be looking at? Now, in 2020, we gave some examples in the report, but we actually didn't ask, so which ones of those are you using as organisations, which we've done this year? So we've delved a little bit more into that, I guess. And what's really interesting, I think, is, yes, there's been a bit of an increase in ENPS. Whether you like that or not is probably one for another debate, <laughs> to be honest. How valuable is that? But also from the experience measures list and in, in the report, you'll see sort of on sort of page 18, things such as quality of knowledge articles, self-service ratio, i.e. I've looked at some content, it answered my question, so I didn't raise a query versus I looked at this page on the internet. I had a question, so I've now raised a query. That therefore says there's something not quite right, perhaps with the content that's online. For example, you know, complaints rate is in there, time to market for new products. When you actually look at which ones of those experience-specific measures are used, they're still pretty early in maturity, I would probably say. Yeah, so it is low, yeah. So, you know, let, just over a third of organisations who said they did have experience measures use quality of knowledge articles, for example. 42% of the organisations who did have experience measures, so 52% said, yep, we've got experience measures. Of that, 42% of them, i.e. just under half, said they used at least two experience-specific measures, which might have been quality of knowledge articles or complaints rate, for example. So I suppose there's a maturity question there for me. Um, yeah. specifically. Yeah. And I wonder if just looking at that data, why is it in my head, I'm thinking, and maybe this is again, a whole nother podcast, because I'm thinking, why is that so low? Is it because people are, so for example, the employee net promoter score, is it because they don't feel confident enough in their interpretation of the data and then being able to do something with it? Is that one of the reasons? I don't know. I guess we probably need to have a whole room full of people to ask that question, really. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it might be that, or ultimately it might come down to who cares about what. So if you, you know, yeah. what do you need to measure to answer what business question? If you're thinking about experience, then yeah, you need to be able to quantify that because that's, we, you know, we say that's about value. But actually operational stuff, for example, who really cares about that? Is it the business? Yes, they probably will put their hands up in the air if people aren't paid on time because clearly that's an important, <laughs> very important measure, <laughs> payroll accuracy and, and, you know, timeliness of delivery. But are they really going to care about, okay, so I had this many queries this month. This was the quality of them. 
Probably not. So for me, I think there's, again, that question of what are you reporting on and for who and how are you going to use the data alongside that, but also the insights that it draws, which links to some of the things around skills specifically. But very briefly, just on continuous improvement specifically, because I did mention that to your initial question, Chris, on this chapter, there is quite a provocative statement in the report that I'm sure some people won't necessarily agree with, but we do like to just prompt a conversation, and there's no right nor wrong here, which is continuous improvement remains HR's Achilles heel. It's deliberately provocative in the sense of if you want to focus on those efficiencies, unless you have some way of continuously improving, be that you have global process owners, or you've got cross-functional experience forums, or you've got a continuous improvement team, how are you identifying ways to be better at what you do? and then quantify the impact of that so that they all sort of go hand in hand, I guess. And it's interesting if ultimately the key skill for success is continuous improvement. Well, this is it. And this is within moving on to the next section, which is the capabilities, behaviours and talent section. And it's identified what are the skill, what skills are a priority for you in 2022? 91% say continuous improvement, but how are you measuring that? That's, that's, yeah. that's the big question. And that is that the Achilles heel. Do you want to just touch on some of the other sort of stats from that particular section? Maybe one or two. Let's not give the whole... Uh, let's not on give the talent the whole, side. Yeah, on the talent side. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a little look from that perspective. And then also the behaviours. Um, we can touch on that as well, like the priority for the behaviours, which I thought was interesting. So Yeah, sure. Actually, let's start with that one. Because for me, you know, think of a coin, skills and behaviours kind of two sides of the same coin. And you need a bit of both, I think, for success, which is why we, again, specifically asked a question on both areas, which is a build on on the first sort of data set two years ago. We've talked about experience being the North Star and kind of a key priority. Customer first mindset came out as the overall top behavioral priority for the next sort of year with just over three quarters. So 77% of respondents saying that was a focus for them. And linked to that sort of trusted advisor came third, which again, isn't surprising when you think about that kind of um, experience angle. So for me, I think when you look at the behaviors bit, what's probably quite interesting is maybe what doesn't come out so much. So continuous improvement is a skills priority. One might argue in the behavior options that respondents were given, there could be some in there that link to continuous improvement. But where they sit in priority is an interesting one without going too much into detail on that specifically. And then I guess the other thing really that kind of jumps out to me was we've talked in the past, both in HR on the Offensive, which is our first white paper, hence the title of this podcast series. And then in the second, the shared service report that followed about HR becoming a real destination for talent, um, kind of going on a bit of a PR offensive to really attract the brightest stars into the function. So I I wanted this year to sort of explore, well, what are organizations doing to maybe attract and retain talent? Where are they sourcing talent from? Is having an HR qualification even a prerequisite? Because I think in the traditional kind of model, and you know, let's just take sort of five, 10 years ago, most organizations would have said, well, you need to have some HR qualification like CIPD, for example, to be a practitioner, or at least as part of your career development, be focusing on, on that as a qualification. But when you think about now the diversity of the services um, that shared services, HR shared services supports, so insights analytics is in there, and um, technology is in there, you've got innovation, you've got experience, it's different. It's not the same as the traditional kind of HR technical skills and career paths. So there's a few interesting stats in there, again, to whet the appetite. I'm not going to go into too many of them, but also we wanted to understand where organisations were sourcing talent from. So is it the traditional kind of sourcing models? I think it's probably fair to say that from at least from these responses, which may or may not be fully representative, hence I'd love to debate it more. If anyone wants to come on the pod, 
let's do it. As I say, it may or may not be representative, but based on what our respondents said, it's probably fair to say that the organisations are dipping the toe in the water to sort of say, yep, we're going to look outside of HR. We sometimes do that. Regularly doing it is a slightly different question. And I suppose if you think about the diversity again of what shared services is now starting to offer to the business and from an HR function, the provocation would be, are we really being bold enough in challenging the status quo around where we get talent from and how frequently we look outside of the traditional talent pools for the right people. Yeah. I mean, again, this section, you and I have already had a couple of conversations around this and me saying, well, hold on a second. If you've got all of these HR shared services teams that are saying, well, no, having HR qualifications aren't a prerequisite. Why are you then getting a whole nother collective of people saying, oh, but we look for skills outside? There was there's a little bit of a, uh, a paradox. No, parado- uh, well, there's a little bit of an alternative kind of view coming there but it almost feels like that's a 30 minute discussion in itself which we absolutely will mm-hmm. have and i'm conscious that we are rapidly closing down on the end of today's podcast i do want to just grab a few minutes of your time just to talk about the digital enablers section mm-hmm. yeah so of course we ask things like what service delivery technologies are you using you know if you're making an investment in technology in the next 12 months where is the focus yep. and interestingly we asked the ai question again and i wasn't surprised about the ai question you can elaborate on that in a second mm-hmm. but to me i wasn't surprised because i just think across a lot of functions not just from my perspective not just hr a lot of people are still okay we get the concept of ai but how does it practically apply mm-hmm. to the day-to-day stuff that we do i don't know if you want to touch on let's start with the ai bit i've gone mm-hmm. sort of from back to front here but then talk about some of the interesting other findings that we had yeah no sure chris again this is going to be my views versus necessarily what people who said yes, no, maybe to that question would have said. But I'm with you, Chris. I think when you look at the statistics here, 68% of organisations said they've no plans to implement at present. So that's on, on AI. And usage of AI remains kind of pretty much at the bottom of the service delivery technology list as it was two years ago. I think that is down to similar reasons when we had our interviews two years ago as what it is perhaps now, which is Is the data accurate? Are we spending the right time to make sure that we've got really robust, up-to-date knowledge articles that we refresh constantly? Because chatbots, as an example of AI, rely on those. Do we have the right capabilities? Do we even understand what AI means in an HR context? You know, there's ethical questions in there. It requires a different way of thinking about something, I think, to understand where AI fits in. And therefore, that poses the skills question, which then links back to you. So where are we sourcing talent from? So I think a lot of these concepts and topics, I guess, are quite interlinked. So I wasn't surprised it came Mm. out as low as it did. I guess the question is, does it matter? We talk a lot about making sure that we keep the human in HR, i.e. things still feeling personal. Technology and AI is an enabler of an experience. It's not the solution. So maybe that doesn't matter, actually to just sort of flip that on its head. Does it matter that we're not embracing AI perhaps as much as other functions? Yeah, I think also other functions, I'm not sure as many functions are actually embracing it as much as they say they potentially are anyway. But again, probably a whole massive debate that can happen. And we are pretty much out of time. So I'm going to ask you to just bring us home with the final sort of section which we had, which was looking ahead. And we asked the question, what do you think would be critical to success over the next 12 to 24 months? And what did our respondents say? 
Yeah. So what came out on top of this was further automation and standardization of processes. Probably not surprising when you think about current priorities and therefore that, again, the underlying premise of shared services. So 89% of respondents said that. But then when you look at kind of what comes next, number two on the list, and this was a very deliberately worded question, was, well, option rather for this question, was 75%, so three quarters of the respondents said that for them, key to success over the next year, two years would be ensuring a great employee experience for the HR shared service teams themselves. So that's a bit different to employee and line manager focus. That's on back to that point around how do we attract the best, the brightest, retain our talent? Because sometimes I think we can be very guilty of focusing on everybody else and not our teams enough. And you've got to think about those different dimensions. So for me, it was it was really great to kind of see that come up so high. And respondents could choose multiple options for that specific question. And, and in the report, we're clear on where you could choose multiple versus just one. But three quarters saying that and that coming as number two as a priority underneath the obvious uh, is really great. And then end-to-end solution design, optimization of digital enablers, those kind of things came next. But what we've also tried to do in the report, as we've said, right, HR on the offensive, this is about challenging HR leaders, HR professionals to be bolder and to do more. Rather than us put our sort of hypotheses behind all the data in the report itself, because we didn't have interviews, but we'll do that through podcasts and focus groups, Chris, as you've said, it's just end on a little bit of a reflection. So the very last part of the trends report is a conclusion. It's just one page across each of the four main question areas. And we have a few provocations and some reflection questions. They're there to prompt debate, hopefully get individuals to think. Yeah. So hopefully it does exactly that. Yeah. We want people to engage with us on it. What do you exactly. think? So yeah. talk to us, have a chat with us, get in contact, you know, share your ideas and thoughts. We're always looking for people to share their ideas, thoughts. We're constantly looking at developing out new pieces of content and new lines of thinking. So please give us your feedback. We certainly welcome. We'll be coming back with more podcasts, drilling down into some of the specific areas. We'll probably do a few webinars as well. We are out of time for today. Hopefully, listener, you have found that to be an interesting starter for 10 in terms of this particular latest piece of research. You can, of course, download the research from our website you can go onto the insights section and then we've got all of our white papers listed you can also listen to this podcast through the usual sort of back channels that you have other than that i think we will say our goodbyes for now em so uh, thank you very much for sharing some thoughts on the uh, the white paper today no thank you chris and looking forward to getting a few organizations on hopefully to get their yes, perspectives indeed yep. getting some Good. more perspectives mm. and Certainly, we'll be looking to do that over the next coming weeks and months. But from myself, from Ems, thank you very much for listening. This is the HR on the Offensive podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.